that. All right, well, let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be in a study or, or in a message this morning that I've called Overcomers. Overcomers. And it comes from 1 John chapter 4. We're picking up in verse 20. And we're going to go through chapter 5, verse 5. Overcomers. So, you know, who doesn't love movies, I think, uh, with characters where, where the main th- thing that, that throws them forward is they're overcoming these insurmountable odds, right? Like the underdog, if you will. I mean, those are exciting movies. I mean, you know, I grew up, you know, watching all the Rocky movies, and I probably was like, well, I wasn't born yet. I guess 1972 was when the first Rocky came out, if I'm not mistaken. So I was born like three years later. But growing up and, you know, seeing that underdog kind of message, and it's great, and it's fun, and, you know, I've got to, you know, it's become a tradition for us at Thanksgiving to watch, you know, all these different Rocky movies, you know, throughout the day. And I mean, it just, it makes you want to like get up and go outside and work for a little bit, right, for like five minutes and then come back in, you know, <laughs> and you come in. But one of my favorite things, and I think in that, is sports movies, especially when, you know, they are born from true life, or it's a, it's a true story, you know, and, and those, you know, those sports kind of movies like that, overcoming those odds, they really connect with me, and one of my favorite ones that I've, I've watched several times with my kids is, is a movie called The Perfect Game, and if you've seen this, it's a story about uh, this little league team from Monterey, Mexico in the 1950s, um, and they formed this little league team with a priest, and, I, and if I'm not mistaken, this over-the-hill kind of baseball guy, and then they're out there, you know, in poverty and all this kind of stuff, and, and, and led by, again, this priest, which is kind of funny to me, because the, the, the guy who plays the priest is Chich Marin, and it's just weird, because I grew up with Chich and Chong, so it's weird to see Chich Marin, you know, playing a priest in this, you know, but these kids, they, they get together, and they're playing baseball and so forth, and then they make it over into the U.S., and they start to compete in the U.S., with, against all these other, other uh, little league teams. And the cool part is if they go on overcoming race, racism and, and just financial challenges, and they go on to win the Little League World Series. They were the first team ever to win outside of the U.S. It's just an exciting movie, uh, just as they're com- overcoming all these different odds and so forth. And what's really crazy is that in that final game, um, they played against this Little League team in California. And if I'm not mistaken, the, the final score was 4-0. to and so this little uh, Mexican team, you know, beat him with a grand slam, and that pitcher, he pitched a perfect game. A perfect game, right? It means no, no nothing, right? Just a perfect game, and it's a, it's, it's a record that apparently is still not um, beaten to this day, from this, you know, from the 1950s, which is amazing. And I think about these kids and how they have overcome all these different circumstances and all these different things, you know, it makes me think about just you know, the, the, the kind of things that we go through here in life and all the different circumstances that we have and, and overcoming, you know, adversities and trials and failures, and all these kinds of things. But as we look at it from a biblical perspective, is that what being an overcomer is all about? Is it just that we've overcome challenges and, and trials and things like that? Or even is it that we obtain like a dream or, or, or these goals that we have in life? Is it much more than that? Well, I think we start to go into something a little bit deeper. When you look at Webster's Dictionary, the old school one, it defines overcomers as people who have overcome um, any contest that's thrown at their way, especially in rising above circumstances. And so it really speaks to the human spirit, if you will. But then Jesus, through the hand of John, says it's even more than that. Being an overcomer, overcoming is more than that. And here he gives us a few traits in the epistle to John 
right, that describe a person who is an overcomer. And it, so it's going to bring us to our first point there in 1 John. Overcomers are people who, excuse me, God, love Jesus and love the brethren. And, and, and as I think about the brethren, really what we're speaking is we're speaking about the church. Overcomers are people who love God, who love Jesus, and who love the church. Now look what he says there in verse 20. It's the first three verses we're going to read for our first point. And he says this, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. See, as we think about this idea of overcomers, it's not something that's born in solitude. Overcomers, right, love God, love Jesus, and love the brethren, and they are all three. They're, you know, and, and it's such a perfect thing, because when you think of the community of who God is, it speaks of this triunity of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, growing up um, as a young kid, especially as a Catholic, you know, the, 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 the trinity of, of, of God was very kind of like mysterious and, and unknowable, so to speak. And in some ways, there is definitely a mystery to it, but even something that's greater that's really stood out to me in the last five or ten years or so is just really that picture of what it represents. It represents us as human beings coming into community, coming into relationship with God, of bringing us unto relationship. And so then God has always planned that that community of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit would also include the church, that he would bring the church into that hotbed of relationship, if you will. Now, I'm sure if you heard this before, and maybe you've seen it posted on social media or whatever, you know, you might hear people say something to the effect of, well, man, I, I really like God, and I'm all about the man upstairs. You know, Jesus, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. Like the old school Jesus, Old Testament, yeah, that guy was crazy. The New Testament Jesus, well, yeah, yeah, like he's good, right? I mean, you have stories of the little kids coming to Jesus, and I, I'm down with that. And his church, well, the church is just crazy. Like, people who call themselves Christians, like, they're just nuts. And the reality is, for the follower of Jesus, that sentiment doesn't fly. See, what John is saying today, even as we think about this idea of being an overcomer, is that in order to do that, it includes all of the above, of loving God, loving Jesus, but also loving His people loving the church. They're inseparable. They go together. I mean, look what, look what John says there in verse 20. He says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Now, that's like some intense language when you think about John calling us out. If you say you love God, but then you hate the church, you hate the brethren, or you can't stand them, or like, I'm good. I can just do my own thing with God here, but forget you guys, like forsaking the church. I don't want to hear. That's too much drama. Whatever the case may be, the Bible says you're actually a liar to say that you love God because you can't separate those at all. It doesn't make sense in the kingdom of God. I mean, look what, what chapter 5, verse 1 says. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ 
I'm sorry, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. See, there he includes us, the church, the begotten, the brethren, all of us. See, everyone who believes in Jesus as a Savior is born again. And as a follower of Jesus, and since you love this Jesus whom God sent as his only son, right? God sending, God loving the world and sending his son, right? Born of God, his only begotten son. Then the following is true. Then you also love anyone that's born of God. See, if Jesus comes from God, and now God calls us sons and daughters of God, then that line has to be true. You know, it would be crazy and weird. Just like to me, it sounds weird. I mean, I, th- I think we see a little bit of this dysfunction in the book of Genesis with, with um, Isaac and, and Jacob and Esau and that whole dysfunction. It says that he loved Esau, but Jacob, he was like, eh, he just like sows. But Esau, like he goes and gets meat. And he had a favorite. It would be weird. I, I think of even looking at my, at my own children and, and being able to say, well, like, yeah, I favor this one more than the rest would be untrue and messed up. Now, there might be different unique things that each kid does that makes me love them in a unique way, but I love them all the same. I would be a liar to say I love my family, but this kid, ah, he was kind of an afterthought. I don't love him. But this one, oh, Daniel, like he's like the king of the crop. He gets everything. Sorry, guys, the rest of you, too bad. You were born after 2002. Like, that would be messed up. You could then say with certainty, Joe, you're a liar. You don't love your family because you're choosing. And the same works for us as followers of Jesus, that if we love God, we love the whole package deal. We love God, we love his son, and we love each other. We love the church. Remember Paul's testimony on the road to Damascus, which I think is very insightful for us. If you look back in the book of Acts in chapter 9, you have this account of Paul's conversion story. But in that conversion story, you get a little bit of the depth uh, of the truth behind God loving his church and we as well loving the church. I'll read to you in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. This is what, what happens. And here's some things to underline, and I'll jot them down for you in a second or, or remind you of them in a second. But listen to this. It says, Then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any of who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. See, there's three things that stand out there that speak to the validity of us loving one another, loving the church, having an affection for the church, us, each other. And remember, when I say the church, I want to to divorce the idea that oftentimes we can look at the church and see the church only as simply as the representatives of the building and whatnot. But the church is us. It's all of us. 
But look what he says there. Saul breathed threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. This guy who would write all these epistles is breathing murders and threats, wanting to bring the church, people who are of the way into jail. And look how Jesus responded to, those, uh, to that behavior, if you will, to those attacks. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Wait, 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 wait. No, Paul was persecuting the church. No, but Jesus took it as, why are you persecuting me? Right? And then he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Wow. I mean, talk about, this is like classic big brother. You mess with him, you mess with me. I mean, that's how it is, right? I mean, that's, I hopefully, brothers and sisters and all that kind of stuff, if somebody's picking on your little brother, you don't join in them. If you do, like, you've got issues, right? No, you say, this is my brother mess with him, you mess with me, right? There's going to be issue, and that's kind of how the Lord, right, in a more biblical and sound way, right, is like, you mess with him, you're messing with me. You're affecting me. So let's be clear, an overcomer means you love God, you love Jesus, and you love his church. But can you also see something, again, I think something I alluded to earlier, something else emerging from that? Being an overcomer is not a lone sport. It's not something we do by ourselves, or it's not done in isolation. That's why I think it's such a blessing, even just like, what a word picture today uh, of dedicating, you know, uh, Cody's kids and Jenny's kids to the Lord. You know, we'd like to think that we could do things on our own, and by and large, right, they're going to do all the hard work of changing the diapers and raising and paying the bills and stressing out about college and all this kind of stuff, Right? But it is not a small deal for us to be included in that, at least in by way of prayer, of praying for the family. Or like seeing them out in the street, you're like, oh yeah, that's the Andersons. Like we dedicate their kids. And to just in that moment, to like just pray for them. Lord, bless them, you know, and, and, and you know, bless Joe. As I, I see a Joe the other day, he was yelling at his kid in the corner of the street, like, Lord, help them, you know. Like be invested in one another's life, you know. I don't do that. Hmm. <laughs> Okay, but look, look at this. Look what he says there. So what a truth bomb here. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Man, that's insane, right? How, how can we tangibly, right, we're seeing these people, and then all of a sudden we can say that, that, that you know, yeah, we love God. It doesn't make sense. You know, it's interesting. In the original language, um, how can he was not there in a lot of the early manuscripts. Like, how can he love God poses the question. Or a lot of the earlier translations actually said he cannot. So he would read this way. Um, For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, he cannot love God whom he has not seen. Like, that's how it was put in the earlier transma- uh, translations. And I think, man, that just gives it a sting. Because in reality, it may be easier to love the seen, right? The tangible, that which, you know, we can see. Because seeing is an incentive to love. So true. It's just like when we see our spouses, you know, or our family or a friend that we haven't seen. You know, I, I love, you know, when you, you have, you know, kids that haven't been around each other or, or, you know, or friends, you know, they come together and there's like this joy and there's excitement, right? Because we can see, we can touch and, you know, all these different things. But John is a realist here in this way. If you can't love your brethren, image bearers of Christ, visible representatives of the invisible God, then there's no way you can love God or love Jesus. 
Like he's making it really intense here. Overcomers love God. They love Jesus and they love the brethren. Now let's get, I mean, I guess kind of real for a moment, right? In a twisted way, I can see how loving God would be easier than loving the church, right? Because we have a relationship with God and we can argue with God and nobody hears that. I mean, we shouldn't, but we do right? And we hear things from the Lord, and then we kind of like downplay it in our minds, or, or we're fearful to step out, like God is asking us to go somewhere, or to do something, or putting something in our heart, and so we don't. And so no one knows about that, and it doesn't interfere with our relationship, if you will. But when it comes to people, you know, that it is kind of hard, and I get that, the, the, the idea of like getting away and not loving the church at times, because the church can be tough, the, the church can hurt us. And as I said earlier, right, we have to divorce this idea that me, the elders, we represent the church. No, it's all of us, right? Sometimes all of us can hurt one another. We can let each other down. I know there's sometimes there's people in the church that are easier to love than others, right? And as time goes on, some people move away, and it breaks your heart when people leave the church, you're sad about that. And there's some people you're like, why don't they leave the church? It's like, go. You know, I mean, there's all these things, right? that we have and these issues. But make no mistake, despite all her flaws and her messiness, she is, after all, the bride of Christ, right? Paid for by the blood and the scars and the lashes of Christ. Overcomers love God. They love Jesus and they love the brethren. Here's another trait, right, of overcomers. Overcomers love his word. They love his word. Look what John says next there in 1 John chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. Look what he says. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And, and they're all intertwined. To love God, to love Jesus, to love the brethren is also a person who, who then loves the Word of God, who loves the Word in the sense that he's saying is to keep it. It's to observe, you know, to look at God's Word and to hold on to it. Now, when we say commandments, our mind goes to the Ten Commandments, and that's, it should because that's where the essence is. You know, that's kind of where it started. But it also doesn't stop there. It would, it, would, it would go out and include even the word that we have in the New Testament and all these things. And, and I would say even summed up in what Jesus responded to the Pharisees or, or to the disciples when they asked, you know, what's the greatest of all commandments? Tell us, what's the greatest commandment of all? And he said, well, the greatest commandment of all is to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and strength, you know. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And even there, you see how they're connected to love God, to love the church, and it still goes back to loving the brethren, right? And then he says, and on, all, and on these two commandments hang all the law. This idea and this picture of love. John speaks of it in this way. So, so here's when the word can be a uh, burden or uh, oppressive. It's when we want to do our own thing. When we're re rebelling against God. Right? That's, that's when, I mean, we do it all the time with our kids, right? We love our parents. Oh, I'm having such a great day. We went out and we did this and mom bought me an ice cream, blah, blah, blah. Hey, so can I go to Joe's house? No. Oh, I hate you. You're the worst parents ever. Right? All of a sudden, that law that we have becomes a burden and just something we don't want to deal with. Right? No, the law is for the lawless. But when you're free in Christ and living in gratefulness and in thankfulness, the commandments of God are really, they become a step of faith, a response, 
of love to the Redeemer and giver of love. See, when you love Jesus and God and His church, then it's easy to love His Word, right? And when you love God out of that love, then it's not so much a burden. It, it becomes like this joy. I love this. Great. There's a great picture of this in Genesis chapter 29. Do you remember the story of Jacob? Right? And I mean, it has a messed up beginning, but if you remember this story where Jacob is hanging out and, and he basically pulls a fast one on Esau, which really is going to affect his life. I mean, his brother wanted to kill him because he, he tricked him. And so his mom says, hey, then get out of here until Esau calms down. Here's what you do. Go to my family's house, to Laban. I, my brother's there. And get you a wife from over there. Don't come here. Go, go marry your cousin. Because back in the day, it still wasn't weird to be kissing cousins just yet, okay? And so he goes out there, and, and he's traveling, and, and he sees this great picture, right, of what we would know as Jacob's ladder, and he's going, he's just praying, and, and God has a plan for him. And so he goes, and he stumbles on this well of water, and on this right? And so he goes, and, and all of a sudden, these sheep herders start showing up, and all of a sudden, this gal shows up, Rachel. And so then Jacob's like, whoa check out this lady. Who is this? Oh, well, that's, that's Laban. And he gets like, dude, he goes over there, pulls up his sleeves, does a Superman and goes and moves the rock himself to impress the lady, right? And she comes and, and, and he gives drink to all her sheep and everything. And then just with all that adrenaline and, and, and who knows, man, hormones, he just goes and he kisses her and she like freaks out. And so he goes over there up to Laban. He goes, look, man, he goes, I'll work for seven years for this gal. I'll work seven years for this. And Laban's like, yeah, that sounds good. Work seven years and you can have her, right? And so Jacob works for, <clears throat> excuse me, for seven years. He doesn't marry her first. He's going to work for seven years. And at the end of those seven years, then he's going to marry this gal. And I think dads, that, that's where we call it right here, moms. It's like, you want to marry my daughter? You need to work for me for seven years for free. And then if you're still around, then maybe you can marry her. That's what I'm thinking. I only have two daughters. So I think that's a good plan. Okay. I know the girls are like, what? Forget it. <laughs> but, but look what happens. Look what, look what it says in Genesis 29, 20 about Jacob in response to this. It says, <clears throat> so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Talk about that commandment. Was it a burden? No way. He was like, seven years? Psh, dude, I worked 20 years for this gal. It was, it was a response of love. I mean, do you think those years were a big deal to Jacob? No way. His service to Laban was not a burden at all. It was a service of love because of the love he had to Rachel. And this is where I'm like, man, can I get an amen here? That's why those honeydews for us ladies, it's not a big deal. It's only but minutes throughout the week to do all those honeydews. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I think that's true, right, for any relationship. When we love people, serving them is not a burden. It's an act of love. There's no hours to count. It's a response of love. It's, it's love going out because these commandments, and the, the thing is true, I believe when it comes to serving God and loving God and keeping His commandments, we serve God not because of what we get out, but, it, but because of what we've already been given. It's a response of love. It's like Christ saved me when I was a wretch. I was lost. I was a wretch, but now I'm found. As Paul would say in Romans 12, right, it's the least that I could do to give my life as a living sacrifice. It's the least that I can do. I think it's the same heart in vain in which Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, 
not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Right? This is true about money and giving to God, but I think the same can be said about putting into practice God's Word and, and keeping it. Right? Overcomers love His Word, love the commandments. Thirdly, overcomers are faith-filled. Overcomers are faith-filled. Look at the next one. In, and these are the last two verses, verse 4 and verse 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. See, here's, it would be easy just to look at that list and say, okay, I got it. I want to be an overcomer, right? There's some big mountains in my life right now. And so, so, you know, I'm going through it. The fire's turning all the way up. And Pastor Joe said, just love God, love the church, love Jesus, and we're golden. Love his word, and we're good. Well, here's the deal. That's not how it works. Please understand these traits, in actuality, are not traits to attain to, but they are markers of the person who is born again. See, I know a lot of times, you know, we look at some of those movies, and we think, like, man, I could never pitch a perfect game. Like, I could not be rocky. You know, I just sledgehammer and running up the top of the steps there in Philadelphia, like, not for me. I can barely have the three steps in my train. And so we can feel overwhelmed, but not so in Christ. Not so in Christ. See, the world may at times try to draw us away. We might have trouble with our corrupt flesh and sin and Satan and all these things. But here what we're talking about is abiding in a relationship, in relationship with Jesus. A daily occurrence of faith that whoever would respond, whosoever would respond, right? And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This is where it begins. Our faith is what overcomes the world. It's what makes us an overcomer. Now listen, not our faith as in look at the amazing things that I've done for God. Look how God answers my prayers. Look how long I've been walking with God. So of course God is making me an overcomer. No, no, no. Our faith is not about what we've done. Instead, it's about what God has done and is doing on an ongoing basis. Paul says it really sweet in Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith. By faith in what? By faith in Jesus. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the overcomer because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, Satan, our adversary. I love this one guy. Oh man, I'm going to mess it up again. Let's just call him Mr. E, okay? We're going to call him Mr. E because first service, I jacked it up. This is what he says. Survey the whole world and show me even one of whom it can be affirmed with truth that he overcomes the world who is not a Christian, and endowed with this faith. See, for us, it begins with faith, love, and obedience because we have one who went before us, one who went obediently to the earth on behalf of the Father because of his great love for us so that by faith we would respond to the work of the cross to rescue us from our sin. Who is an overcomer? Someone who loves God, loves Jesus loves the brethren, and loves his word in response to the original overcomer. And I'll leave you with this. The disciples of John, and speaking to Jesus, I mean, I just this moment, right, he's having with them about faith and, and the troubles that are before us. And this is how Jesus responds to them. In John 16, 31, he says this. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? 
Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered each to his own and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, when we talk about being an overcomer, the only reason we have any hope of being an overcomer is because Jesus, Jesus is, he's the original overcomer. He overcame on our behalf for you, for me, so that we can have fellowship, one together with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this time, this moment to be able to meet with you, Jesus. To come to you, God. From this place, in some ways, of, of brokenness and hope. Get ready to respond to you. This is a time of these things, maybe we've already, we, we have read them, we've studied them. Before we come to the altar, before we come to a place of worship and response. See, this morning, in, in, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. We're going to come to the altar. We're going to reconnect with that promise that was given to us to have fellowship with God the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. But before we do that, we need to prepare ourselves. And maybe this morning as, as we do that, um, maybe there's just a word for someone here this morning. Especially in regards to the church, to the brethren. Because again, as I said earlier, it's easy. We can love the Father, we can love Jesus. And, and uh, there's not... I mean, we love the word. We love hearing from the Lord. But, but oftentimes the thing that, that gets rubbed wrong is, is our relationships. And so Jesus said in the, in the Gospels that before we come to the altar, before we come to the temple and we, we offer our gift, and in this case it's simply our hearts and worship, he says if you have anything against a brother... And leave, leave your gift at the altar and go and, and, and get right. And then come back and offer your gift. And, and the reality is in this place, we can't really do that. But what I can do is encourage you before you sing out to Jesus, before you take communion, if there's anyone here this morning that maybe, you know, has sinned against another brother or sister in the Lord, or, or maybe you've believed lies about them or whatever, the Bible says we got to lay that down. We got to get right. We got to repent. We got to not add to the noise. And honestly, before you can worship and take communion, you've got to get that right between you and the Lord. Or maybe you're on the flip side. You're sitting here this morning and you're battling with bitterness in your heart towards someone in the church. Maybe it's not even in this local expression, it could be in the church. Maybe it's from an old church you used to go to. 
And there's just this bitterness that's just eating you up. Like you have to understand that's hindering your relationship with God. So let this be an opportunity to, to, to give that to the Lord, to lay that before the altar. Because God wants to and he desires to commune with you this morning. But we've got to come to him and we've got to let him overcome the things that we're struggling with in this world. Hey there, this is Pastor Joe with Calvary San Juan. I hope you were blessed by our time together in God's Word. And if you'd like to hear more of our teaching from the teaching ministry of Calvary San Juan, you can go to our website at calvarysanjuan.com or you can search for us on iTunes or Spotify. Just look for Calvary Church San Juan Island. On Sunday mornings, we stream our services live on Facebook and, of course, on our website at calvarysanjuan.com. On Facebook, you can search for us by looking up Calvary San Juan, all caps, live. Calvary San Juan Live. And if you ever find yourself in Friday Harbor on a Sunday morning, you can worship with us in person at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. here on the San Juan Islands. God bless.